in my experience with the, and this is more earlier, I think, in my career, my experience has been that when you don't go through it, you know, not even necessarily a consultation, maybe you don't go through any kind of true expectation setting. It can be great up until the last couple of days, but then when something kind of throws, you know, a wrench in the works, it really goes awry because they weren't ready for it. So it can be, right. it can be good. It's good until it's not right. You know, it's good until it's not. By the time it's not right, exactly. it's too late. And you wish you could have gone back a few weeks or 30 days and kind of gone through it. So yeah, that's, that's great. That's a massive value add. And I think that's, any, that's actionable for anyone that's listening right now too. It's like, hey, if there's one thing I could recommend to any agent, whether they're experienced or not, is, is start doing consultations, right? Do those buyer consultations properly. I mean, listing consultations with sellers, we do all the time, right? Because that is kind of part right. of the process. But I think we overlook that as agents on the buying side is you can save yourself time in the process too if you go over those consultations. So so yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're doing that. So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, welcome to today's episode. My name is Elliot Hoyt, and I will be standing in and hosting in place of Aaron. And uh, today I'm joined by Kelly Carlson from Chicago. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Elliot. This is a treat. Of course, absolutely. So Kelly's joining me partly, and part of the reason I'm here too is because Kelly is in the most recent NAR class of 30 under 30. Um, I was also in uh, the 30 under 30 class. I had to look this up, Kelly, before we, we jumped on. It was three years ago now, so I'm starting to feel old. Now I'm actually in my 30s, <laughs> so I have to take out my Instagram bio, but you can keep it in there. Congratulations. That is, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I just turned 29, so this was my last opportunity to make the cut. <laughs> So you, you just got in by the, the, by the skinny of teeth. So did, have you applied exactly. before? Or was, this, was this the first time you applied? or? Uh, no, this was actually the first time I applied. Um, I don't know if I just missed the memo previously, but it really like stood out when I saw the email come out from Chicago Agent, uh, Chicago Association of Realtors, you know, posting on behalf of, of NAR. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that it's not, I, from my understanding, um, you have to apply, or a lot of people apply multiple times before they do get the, uh, they actually get um, get in. And I was also a first time too. So congrats. That's cool. in the, in a small, we're in a small club together, I think, actually. So yeah, uh, yeah so you're over in Chicago. So have you had a, a chance yet to connect with any of the other 30 under 30 award winners in the past in Chicago? I'm, I'm assuming there's a few, I think, right? Yes. Um, so I actually got lunch uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Kyra Button, who was the other Chicago 30 under 30. And then uh, Brandon Blankenship, who was a finalist, um, but he's a little bit younger than us. So we told him like, you, you got it next year. Um, but it was so cool to connect with the three of uh, three of us. Um, and I think I'm going to go to the, the mastermind in Seattle in september uh with kyra uh, i'm not sure if that was something that you did um back in 2019 so we, 2020 so it was peak it was peak covid kelly when i first got that's um, right when i when i was inducted 
Um, and okay. there wasn't a whole lot of traveling or at least there wasn't anything for that first year. And I'll hold my hands up and say, I've not been to a single thing yet with an AIS 30 under 30, but I am over here in Boise, Idaho, which is a, literally a 45 minute flight from Seattle. Um, and now that we're talking about it, I really don't have an excuse to not be there. So I guess I probably should be seeing you in September because I've not been to one yet. So, so yeah. And, and just to, just to fill everyone in. So, uh, the, the NAR national association of realtors, uh, 30 under 30 award, um, is an award that is given to anyone in the business, really agents, brokers, um, managing brokers, um, uh, for productions, one side of it, right? <clears throat> so it can be production. Um, it's community involvement, um, philanthropic work, leadership, um, and, and such. So, uh, mine was, mine was on kind of, I mean, across the board really. And I, I included in my application, um, some of the stuff I did in the community. Kelly, what was, what did your application process look like? What did you, uh, what did you put in your application? How did it go? What were the kind of things that you hung your hat on as far as, Hey, I think that I am a candidate for this award and to join this club. Sure. Um, well, I, I got started in real estate in November of 2020. So, um, my application was kind of, um, you know, me as kind of a rookie in the industry. Um, so relatively new, um, but have had um, pretty good success, I guess, in the, the few years. I, I came over from uh, a career in consulting um, for about four years prior to being in real estate. And um, so I'd say my application was a mix of kind of my um, trajectory getting started in residential sales, um, but certainly my production is not anywhere near some of the other 30 under 30s. Um, and similar to you, community involvement is a really important um, aspect of kind of my, my business and just who I am as a person. And so a big part of what I like to do with clients um, is host um, just various events um, kind of in the theme of things that, you know, are my interests because I think it allows me to get in touch with other individuals who are aligned in interests and values. Um, so I've enjoyed doing, um, you know, spring socials, summer events at places like Barry's Boot Camp, Core Power Yoga, um, because, you know, movement's a big big part of my life and vital to my mental health. Um, so that's been great, as well as um, giving back. So each closing, um, a portion of my commission goes to a local charity supporting um, the unhoused population in Chicago. And the organization, I have a list of 12, and it, so it rotates monthly. And that was uh, an idea I got from actually my wedding florist, Flowers for Dreams, shout out. Um, but they do something where every bouquet um, gives back to a local charity and it changes every month. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, you're really involved in the community there. And I think that's a, that's a big part of it too, that I think maybe, um, you know, our industry gets hung up on is obviously production is a big, a big deal. How much you sell and your ability to do that is important, but that community aspect's huge, Kelly. So great job on that. I mean, I think we overlook sometimes, Hey, especially with the 30 under 30 award, it's quite prestigious, but there is a side to it too. You can sell all the all the property in the world that you want, but it doesn't really matter, does it? If you're not doing the right stuff, uh, kind of, as we'd say in football off the field, but I guess in real estate off of, off the deal, maybe is that the right term? <laughs> so I was looking at your, your kind of your journey, obviously, you, you know, you hit 30 under 30. Um, it was last month. It was announced, correct? That you, that the class was announced in April. Yes. Okay. 2023. April. 
and you got in when was your first year in real estate officially full-time uh so i left my consulting career in november and then i was kind of working behind the scenes with um the licensed partner of my brokerage jennifer ames to kind of get me ready for the spring market um but it wasn't until january of 2021 that i then you know made an announcement and really got started so it's been you're working on year three basically so two full years working on three right yes so That's pretty impressive right. to you know to be in the business for that short period of time and be you know notice for 30 under 30 so you're obviously doing some stuff right there but you know obviously short period of time um is it true that you may or may have not have an engineering degree was that what you were going to do in real life when you grew up that's true <laughs> so how, how how did we i mean I, I, how did we go from from wanting to be an engineer to getting a career in real estate i mean those are quite i know that you know engineering is involved in real estate but they're very different fields well you're not the first person to ask me that um but it, it really goes back to high school. I, at the time, was really interested in pursuing architecture. I had always had a love for homes growing up. Um, just I, I would search the Internet and I would play Sims, but all I would do it for was to build houses. So at the time, it was, I guess, I was in high school 2008 to 2012, and I think Coming off the heels of recession, um, I find I found that there were um, almost pressures of you know finding a job that or, or picking a college um, major that you know is kind of recession proof and that you'll be able to find a job because people weren't you know building and designing homes at that time. Um, so I said you know I like math, I like science, I'll go with civil engineering. Um, and it's a pretty versatile degree um, where you can go into a lot of fields, whether it is traditional engineering or more business. And that was sort of the route that I took. Um, so I went to the University of Illinois, got a great education. I kind of knew going into it, I didn't see myself in that traditional engineering role. So I got started at a big four consulting firm out of college um, in a group that kind of worked um, to identify um, like tax credits for construction projects or just, you know, developers, all their properties they owned. So um, I found that to be a great experience right out of college, um, getting to work in a demanding client services role, um, but really missed sort of the, I think, more of the engineering and construction side of it, which I had actually gone to school for. And so I left to join a smaller boutique management consulting firm that um, where I acted as a project manager for nonprofit capital construction projects, um, which was great. I 2020 came and I think in a year of a lot of change, I had always had a bug for real estate, as I mentioned, just a love for homes. And previously, I had thought, you know, that's, that's not what I went to school for. That doesn't line up with my path, um, but really started to think about it differently in terms of how could I leverage this four years of consulting experience to, to differentiate myself in a pretty oversaturated market and really deliver a great client services experience to 
buyers and sellers. And I have found that I love it um, because it, it allows me to use those, you know, analytical skills, but it's in a much more personal way, working one-on-one with clients versus big companies. Um, but a lot of those skills I have found to transfer over. Um, and I think not coming from a sales background has me looking at things differently and kind of remembering the bigger picture of, you know, when I'm in service of others and giving value, uh, that the numbers will work themselves out. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry, this one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it, you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year we were going to do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody and the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week and in the during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you want to join us for the mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there. You've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to real estate, rockstars, network.com forward slash mastermind, real estate, rockstars, network.com forward slash mastermind. Go lock in your ticket. We have less than 10 spots left. You can break it up into four payments. So that way it is much easier to to be sure to join. And I promise you, it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing. You know, the GoBundance masterminds that I talk about that I'm a part of cost five times what we do for this. And I try to deliver twice as much value. All right, back to the podcast. Great, I don't great. know if that so, answers so your question. No, that that that, that does. That, that's great. That, that that gives me a ton of things to kind of dig deeper on here. So obviously, you're over in Chicago in 2020 was when when you got in and, and kind of made this transition from being in consulting um, to becoming an agent. It's my understanding um, that Chicago has kind of sub markets, right? So some move a little bit quicker than others. But I'm assuming, by and large, you can correct me if I'm wrong. By the end of 2020, at least 2021. That was when things were crazy over here in Boise. Were things moving quite quickly and was the market beginning to get oversaturated with agents in that 2020 to 2021 period? Yes. And I think in some ways, you know, yes, there was competition, but there was also just so much work to go around where, you know, my first few deals, it was like, okay, this is, this is simple. But I think as I've learned from a lot of more senior advisors in our office, you know, the times when the market isn't so easy to navigate um, or so hot, that's when we become much better brokers and advisors um, to our clients because we have to work that much harder. Um, but yeah, I'd say Chicago, as as you said, it has a lot of sub-markets. The single-family home kind of mass exodus to get out to the suburbs for more space during COVID was very much the case. And the downtown condo market suffered 
Um, it's balanced out a little bit more, um, but it's still, I think overall we, our market did not experience the same um, kind of national craze of, you know, 30% year over year, everything um, going way over asking, nothing appraising, waiving every contingency. We never got that crazy. So I think it's, it's been a healthy um, continuation of that. I think things are starting to slow down a little bit, um, but the, the prices have held and people's values in their homes have held, which is good. Yeah, a little bit different over here in Boise for at least for a period of time. We were on those markets that went crazy in some areas, saw 20 to 30% appreciation. Um, wow. And then in the interim, when things kind of cooled down, we were looking at 9 to 15% drops in some areas in the space of oh, wow. six months to a year. And things are starting to even out and, and, and kind of come back up again in some areas. But it's always interesting talking to someone in another market, seeing and it looks like, hey, maybe you guys weren't churning as much as we were, you know, two or three years ago, but it's actually helped you in the long run because things were more stable for a period of time. <laughs> so, so yeah, going from, going from being in, in consulting to getting into a market where things were maybe not crazy, crazy in Chicago, but definitely activity was moving around. Um, you said your first couple of deals seemed relatively simple. Where do they come from? How does one go from having, you know, basically, as you said, you know, pretty much zero sales experience and being in consulting? How does someone go from that to kind of getting those first deals? What were your kind of first activities looking like? Sure. Well, I'll start by saying it definitely wasn't easy. I think mindset is uh, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome, but really um, feeling like you're starting from scratch after you know, working for four years and kind of being at that, you know, not bottom of the totem pole, um, that was definitely uh, a mindset challenge for me. Um, but understanding that, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. And so it's okay if it's kind of a slow start. Um, and so my first couple of clients, um, I offered to take any open house I could um, from other agents in our office. And so that was a great way to get in touch with potential buyers. And that was, in fact, my first client ever was the first open house that I held and um, kept in touch with them afterwards and um, had the time to really, you know, follow up and, and continue to follow up. And um, it was a great, great first client experience. And I, you know, they have since had a baby and I have met them for lunch and, you know, they're, they're lifelong clients and friends which I'm very grateful for. Um, and then the other thing, which, you know, our brokerage really stressed is don't be a secret agent. You got to get the word out there to your sphere of influence and, you know, ask for help and reach out to the people that already know and trust you. So um, I'd say that first year was a mix of open house clients, but also um, friends and family and friends of friends. And since then, I've seen it kind of morph into a combination of, open house leads, friends and family, but almost more referrals from those past clients. And then, you know, some lead generation that I have found to work for me. Um, but I've always, at my core, wanted it to be organic relationships and uh, with lead generation, um, doing it in a way that gives value to the consumer. And then, then they can decide for themselves if we would be a good fit. So like one way I've done that is through hosting free webinars uh, for first-time home buyers um, on how to make the transition from renting to owning. And that has been kind of a new development this year um, in addition to those community events 
I mentioned um, as a way to to get my client sphere going. This is awesome. Some good stuff here. There's some parallels too. So funny you should say, so you said your first, your first client that you had was from your first open house, right? Yep, that, that was the exact same thing that happened to me back in, in no 2018. Way. My first client was from my very first open house. Yeah, it's, it's crazy when you tell those stories because people are always like, oh, yeah, open houses, like the success rate isn't that great or whatever, but it's a numbers game. Um, it's a numbers it game. Is. The more you do, right, the more chance there is of, you know, r- running into someone. That's hilarious. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the first person I've met that they also had their first client <laughs> from their first open house. So <laughs> congrats on that. And I, I love what you're saying. Hey, we've got about, a lot in um, common. <laughs> Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Um, we have another. We have another one in common here. I'm going to get into in a second, and you'll like this one because I know that very few people understand the concept too. But I'll bookmark that. So, um, so um, where was I? I lost my train of thought. Um, oh yeah. So value adding. So we talk about lead generation um, a lot in real estate, and we talk about you know the different things that work and the different ways to capture information. But I think again, very much like you know, not looking at how we help and serve our communities. This part's also overlooked when it comes to lead gen. So many agents and teams talk about just getting info right. I'll get their info, follow up, but they don't talk about the value. So I love that you're talking about the value there, right? It's like, hey, if I can offer something of value up front or a piece of value, they will then decide. Uh, they'll de- they'll determine whether they see the value in my services or what I can give them skill wise. Um, based on the value of the stuff that I give. So when you talk about, you know, the value add, um, other than, so obviously the first buy, first time home buyer classes and stuff like that is a great value add because they're getting information from you up front. What other kind of value adds do you try and give when you have conversations, when you put content or material out there? What does it look like that you think might be different to how other, other people might just say, hey, fill in this form if you're looking to buy a house or sell a house? Sure. Yeah, I um, have spent a lot of time putting together home buyer and seller resources that I I think of as free information. It's not stuff that I'm only going to give you if you're my client. Um, I think whether that's, you know, recommendations for referral partners, I've put together, you know, the complete guide to selling your home, the complete guide to buying a home, a photography checklist before you list your home, all those kinds of things. Um, and it's, I mean, the the investment of time putting up front to work on that, it's kind of something I can have for always. And, um, you know, when I meet somebody at an open house, I can quickly send that off to them in addition to asking, you know, if they're interested in the home or not. Um, and then the, the classes I've done, you know, the social events, um, I've also done a couple of happy hours at a local um, little cafe where people can come, have a glass of wine, ask questions, no strings attached. And, um, you know, I think it's a two-way street. You know, as much as somebody is figuring out if I'm a fit for them, it, it goes the same way. I think there's there's different agents that are different, um, that are the right fit for different personalities and different needs based on what somebody is looking for. Um, so not everyone is supposed to be a client, but I think, putting yourself out there, um, you know, getting the experience and getting over the discomfort of, you know, rejection or just people saying no, I think has helped um, to, to just organically, you know, figure out what my niche is. What would you say that niche is? Have you found um, a particular segment that you kind of end up working more towards? Sure. I would say at this point, it's definitely been the first time home buyers that are 
making that big transition, big financial undertaking, it's, it's overwhelming when you've never done it before. And so I think taking a really hands-on approach um, and offering up, you know, those opportunities for monthly webinars that go over the process, getting on a call and, you know, doing a buyer consult in person at a coffee shop and really, um, you know, listening to them and hearing what, what their concerns are, what questions they have. Um, and I think just given my age and a lot of friends and friends of friends are buying their first homes, um, I think that has um, been a good um, just natural segment of the population to work with. And I think keeping those contacts and keeping in touch with those clients um, will be so important because first-time home buyers eventually become first-time home sellers. And my goal is to be fostering client relationships for life. So when when you talk about the the the, the kind of the the value add there in, in being able to provide information to people, especially the first time home buyers, that resonates with me too. Because again, another thing I think is overlooked. I'm glad you do these is buyer consultations, right? I mean, how many agents do we hear of and, and we speak to that just are like, oh yeah, I just opened up a few doors and kind of showed them the home and then we wrote it up. And, and and you don't ever get a chance to set the expectations. And I think a lot of people, right, especially me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating here, right, Kelly, but maybe some of the more experienced or older agents can kind of maybe get away with it more if their demographic is a similar age we've bought and sold before because there's enough basis of an understanding, right, to just get someone through a transaction because they kind of know. But with these first-time home buyers, I mean, I really, I think, in my opinion, any agent should be doing it with anyone. But especially with the first-time home buyers, that's a massive value that they won't forget because you sit down and, and take the time to explain it to them because it can be so intimidating um, going mm -hmm. through it the first time because you just don't know what to expect. And I think setting those expectations also helps both the agent and the client because they can make decisions quicker, right? And they feel more comfortable making a decision because, oh, yeah, well, Kelly went over this with me before, so I know what this... Um, disclosure is I know what this addendum is I know what to expect in this scenario um, so I love that you're doing that on our team um, that's a requirement we we there's there's extenuating circumstances with maybe external leads that come in where we have to meet someone at house as part of the process but we actually sure. won't even show homes to buyers until we go over a buyer consultation in person because it just sets the expectation it sets that foundation you know that's great I, yeah, I completely agree. The setting expectations and just so there's no surprises throughout the process either, you know, of like, oh, I didn't realize there were closing costs in addition to my down payment. Just getting all that information out there up front, um, I think, helps everybody in the long run. Yeah, no, it really does. It makes everyone's job a lot easier and uh everything and, and i've in my experience with the and this is more earlier i think in my career my experience has been that when you don't go through it you know not even necessarily a consultation maybe you don't go through any kind of true expectation setting it can be great up until the last couple of days but then when something kind of throws you know a wrench in the works it really goes awry because they weren't ready for it so it can be right. it can be good it's good until it's not right you know it's good until it's not by the time it's not right exactly. it's too late and you wish you could have gone back a few weeks or 30 days and kind of gone through it so yeah that's that's great that's a massive value add and i think that's any that's actionable for anyone that's listening right now too 
it's like, hey, if there's one thing I could recommend to any agent, whether they're experienced or not, is is start doing consultations, right? Do those buyer consultations properly. I mean, listing consultations with sellers, we do all the time, right? Because that is kind of part right. of the process. But I think we overlook that as agents on the buying side is you can save yourself time in the process too if you go over those consultations. So, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're doing that. So one of the, uh, the my, my next point I wanted to go over, I was, I was looking heavy into your bio because I'm like, this is, this is interesting. So the Danish concept of Hygge, okay? And that for those that are listening, that is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Um, tell me a little bit about that, why that's important to you. Sure, well, I developed a love for Scandinavian culture in college. I studied abroad in Sweden and Denmark. Um, but the, the concept of Huga, and I'm probably saying it wrong, um, is the feeling of home, um, contentment, being in a cozy place, um, you know, surrounded by things and people you love. And I think, you know, yes, we are, you know, having buyer consultations, opening doors, signing contracts, helping our clients through that, but really we're connecting them with um, you know, finding that, that feeling of contentment in a home. And I think that plays a huge role in our mental health, um, you know, is our environment. And so it's such a basic need. Um, and so that, yeah, that kind of ties into, I guess, my, my mission is, is to be in service of others, um, to bring them that feeling at the end of the day. That's awesome. So again, this is another first for me. So you are the first person I've had the conversation with outside of my immediate uh, partnerships here of the concept of Hugo. So uh, funnily enough, um, in Boise here, um, my first development I'm bringing to market is a partner. Its name is Hugo. It's literally H-Y-G-G-E um, because Ian, uh, the, the builder that I'm partnering with, he's he's also, his, his a lot of his architecture design is heavily influenced by Scandinavian culture. So we decided to call the development Hugo. So that's our that's another common common piece right there, Kelly, between us. Very rare, but we both. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it's a, it, it's a it's a cool concept, and that's what a lot of the designs we've done about are about kind of the the home and and making it feel as warm as possible, and using materials that are you know natural wood, um, some brick, and and that kind of stuff. So yeah. So it, in Chicago, Chicago is known from my understanding and I watch a lot of, um, what's that? What's the, is it Wendy city rehab? Is that the one? Okay. Yeah. So that's my, that's my understanding of Chicago. That's kind of the, the extent of it when it comes to Chicago real estate, but I know there's a lot of architectural kind of cool stuff in Chicago. So, and you've lived according to, according to the things I've read, you've lived in multiple places in Chicago. Is that right? Different areas. Yes, I grew up in the western suburbs, um, but for the last seven or eight years or so have lived um, kind of all across the north side, Lincoln Park, Gold Coast, and now River North for the last four years. How do they differ from areas, area to area? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's still kind of a similar pocket of the city, if you will, but... I'm not so close to the lake anymore, and that is kind of a draw of um, Lincoln Park, but particularly East Lincoln Park. Um, we have the most beautiful lakefront trail and beautiful beaches that are, you know, pretty limited in the amount of months of the year that are usable. Um, but on a beautiful day in the summer, you could be mistaken that you're in the Caribbean. It's it's great, and I think we all really embrace being 
home for the summer months to really take advantage of Chicago summers. Um, and I, where I am now, I'm a little closer to the highway. So I, um, I like to run in my free time. So I tend to run more along the 606, which is a older, um, it used to be a train line that they turned into an elevated walking, biking, running path, um, that goes all the way west to Humboldt Park. Um, so that's, uh, a little bit different of a of a feel, I guess. A lot more high rises around where I am versus a lot more historic row homes in places like the Gold Coast, Lincoln Park, and you know more of the neighborhoods as you get further and further from the loop. So Chicago sounds quite diverse to my ignorant self. There's a lot of uh, different kind of things it offers. <laughs> do you do you find yourself? working in in particular geographical areas or does it is it really kind of all over the place yeah it's interesting because our office is located in lincoln park um so i've had a lot of business there um but i would say you know having knowledge of all the different neighbor a lot of different neighborhoods is important just because you know you might have a client who's interested in lakeview lincoln park the whole near north side or Andersonville. So, you know, I know some agents um, who are, you know, really experienced and have been around for a long time are able to kind of focus, like they could not even leave their building that they live in and do all of their business exclusively there. But for somebody who's, um, you know, still getting started, I think um, being able to, I guess, be versatile in terms of, um, having the knowledge of those different markets. And then because I grew up in the western suburbs, Clarendon Hills, I also have done a decent amount of work out that way, um, particularly with either first or second time home buyers um, who have been living in the city, but they're ready to make that transition out to the suburbs. Um, and it's great because it's an area that I know very well because I've lived, lived most of my life um, out that way. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, career trajectories and, and how things have gone to this point and where you want to end up getting to. You were mentioning, obviously, that you know being um, versatile as a new agent is important. Um, we can't be as picky, right, when we're kind of newer. You kind of take business as and where it makes sense. When What, was your, what were your sales like volume-wise year one, year two, year three, and what we're kind of looking at uh, this year? Sure. Um, year one... I did about two and a half million in sales. And last year, um, which was year two, um, almost doubled that. This year, I'm shooting for more. So I think, you know, not necessarily trying to double my sales year over year, but I want to be constantly um, improving. So, so far on track for that this year. And yeah, I think long I'm in this for the long haul and understand there's going to be ups and downs in the market that are outside my control. And that's been one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn in this industry coming from a very secure corporate job um, to something that, you know, can be feast or famine if you're not doing the, you know, putting in the work. Um, and I think coming off of the heels of the pandemic boom really taught me that lesson in a good way. And so, yeah, I'm you know, excited for the future to continue doing what I'm doing and seeing how it evolves. What does the, the long-term picture look like for you? 
what what your what's your dream if you could look I want to say maybe 10, 15 years down the line here. How does your career in real estate look like? Are you still an individual agent? Do you have a team? Do you have your own brokerage? What kind of people are you working with? Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is my husband and I are starting to look at the suburbs ourselves. And so I see um, over time my business transitioning more to um, the suburbs. I have gotten so many parking tickets this year that I look forward to being in a place where parking is free and ample. And as far as a team, you know, I have I have enjoyed being a solo agent thus far. And I think it'll be, I'll know um, when the time, if and when the time is right to expand my team. I love my brokerage. Angle & Volkers is... Um, they have been so good to me. And Jennifer Ames, um, who is a top broker in Chicago, um, who had who did not have the time but took me under her wing um, before I was even licensed, which um, meant so much to me. And so I'm very grateful for the brokerage I'm at. And, you know, maybe could see myself trying to bring more of the presence of Angle and Volkers out into the western suburbs um, would be the plan at this point. That's awesome. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of agents get into the business, they do a few years and they want to have a team. And it's not because it's a functional need. It's because it's like an ego thing. It's, oh, I'm going to have a team because I need a team. But I love that. It's like you grow as you need to grow, right? You don't just grow for the sake of growing. That that, that, that That's awesome. And, and there's headaches that come with it too. Yeah, I know all too well, um, for better or for worse. Luckily, it's for the better for the most part. But there are those moments where it is maybe a little bit for more for the worse. <laughs> hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just want to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that, and I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox, of the stuff that you know everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right. Back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. So, uh, so yeah. So you said that you, you had you had a, a mentor in the beginning. Um, how how much of a, a difference do you think that made to your career trajectory? We always talk about, especially with new agents, right? Trying to find mentors, trying to find people that um, resonate with you that can give you that kind of impact. Um, what what kind of difference do you think it made for the trajectory of your career at the beginning? It made all the difference and I owe so much of my success so far to um, having having those people. Um, Jenny being a big 
part of that. Um, I, I think if I had joined any other brokerage, I would have felt like I needed to be on a team just because you're a new agent, you don't know what you're doing, um, and you get lost in a sea of these big brokerages. And what stood out to me when I was talking to Angle and Volkers was, you know, you don't need to join a team because you have you have the license partner, you have these other advisors who are able and willing to help. And because of that, you know, I was able to get started as a solo agent, which I know is not always, you know, the most common way um, that brokers get started. And so, um, you know, I was in a group, um, there were a handful of us who were put into this high potential mentoring group that Jenny was putting on. And it was essentially a way to jumpstart the residential sales careers of people who had been, you know, successful in other industries, but not know, didn't know anything about real estate. Um, and so we met weekly. Um, but at the same time, she was also calling me and saying, hey, come on this showing, come see this inspection, come to this appraisal. Like I got to see every part of the sales process um, that I wouldn't have, you know, otherwise. And so um, her, her insight and just foresight of knowing what do these agents need to know beyond how do you look up a home in the MLS? How do you work a lockbox? It was not just the practical things. And it was like, how do you, you know, dress for your clients and, you know, make sure that your car is clean. It was a lot of practical and um, more nuanced knowledge that, that I was being fed from the water hose. But um, I think that's, that was the best way to do it. That's great. It's kind of learning by osmosis almost, right? I mean, sometimes you have to really just immerse yourself in it to understand it. You can watch uh, a class online, watch a YouTube video, but there's really no experience, right, for being in front of an experienced agent or broker that's been there and, and done it before. Um, it, it's it's You can't really replace that. Um, I think that's massive. That's a massive piece of advice I think I'd give to anyone who's new is try and find that, that mentor uh, that agent, that broker is willing to give you the time. And that's one, that's one side of it too, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of agents out there that wouldn't even give a new agent the time. So you can definitely aligning yourself with a team and or a broker that's able to do that and give you that time of day is massive. Um, I had very similar experiences at my old brokerage before I branched out as well. I had, uh, two different mentors through the first kind of six months. And I know there's no, no way I'd be at where I'm at right now if I didn't have the experience. So that's, that's absolutely massive. So glad you got to experience that too. So, Wrapping things up, um, I always like to ask this question. I know that, you know, still relatively speaking, maybe to some brokers out there that have been doing this for 10, 25, 30 years, you're still relatively new. But knowing what you know now, what is the one piece of advice that you would have given yourself starting out? That, that gets people. I'll fill the space with, uh, with, my, with my talking to let you think here for a second. I know it's a tough one. I've been asked that several times because it's kind of like when you know it, right? You, when you know what you know now, it's like, uh, well, I know so much. I'm trying to pinpoint one thing. Um, but what's one thing you think maybe you struggled right. with or you just kind of wish you knew? Gosh, you know, I think there's a million ways you can go about uh a career in real estate, entrepreneurship in general. And, um, you know, there's going to be so much thrown at you as, you know, you got to do this, you got to door knock, you got to uh, cold call all these things. And I think trying to figure out what feels authentic to you, um, and what, 
you know, feels natural in terms of what is a way that I can connect with people and give them something of value. Um, and I think, I truly think that, you know, when you're doing that and you're living in alignment with, you know, what, what is, what you value and what you think is a gift that you can give to others, I think you can be successful. Um, and I think having known that it's something I've kind of learned over time. Um, but I think it's easy in the beginning to just get, you know, overwhelmed with the multitude of things that, you know, every agent and coach and uh, email, you know, list that you're on saying you need to buy this in order to do X, Y, and Z. And I think really tuning inwards and listening to, you know, yourself and figuring out what feels um, authentic to you is probably one of the things that has been my secret sauce, I would say. That is awesome. That's very valuable there. Get in alignment with what works with you and make sure you're bringing people value. Those are those are two really important things. I could not have said it better myself. Uh, Kelly, thank you for joining me today. Um, I appreciate you jumping on and kind of sharing your story. I hope that there was, I know I know for a fact there was definitely some, some tidbits of information that are going to help someone that's listening right now. Kelly, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, um, that you know, either had, had a referral, hopefully that'd be awesome, or wanted advice, just wanted to connect with you. What is the best way for them to keep up with you and connect with you? Yeah, so my uh, website is kellycarlsonhomes.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is at kellycarlsonhomes. Um, so yeah, reach me that way. I would love to connect and yeah, meet some other realtors across the country and Elliot thank you so much this was really fun uh great to connect with you and uh come on over to Chicago this summer I I, I need would, to my, my, uh, my, best time of my, year. My, 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 <laughs> my, my wife loves Chicago so her, her late grandfather was a big Cubs fan and the whole fight of the family are Cubs okay. fans so she's been she's been telling me that I need to um and I probably should I just I've I've heard that it's quite humid there in the summer and uh, humidity is not my, my best friend because it, it can mess my hair <laughs> up. So I'm kidding. Anyone that's listening and not watching, I don't have hair, so that was a joke. But I do not like humidity. But no, I, I, that would be awesome. Uh, Quentin is over there as well. I interviewed him last year, and he was in the in the class, I think, last oh, year sure. as well. So I should probably make my rounds and come and see the Chicago people. I probably uh, – it's probably overdue. So, so, yeah. Kelly, thank you. We will catch you on the next one, Real Estate Rockstars. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.